Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and registered art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Our mission on Am I a Bad Therapist is to normalize and humanize our existence as therapists. You can help us spread this message by subscribing and leaving us a review wherever you are right now, whether that's YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you know the drill. You can also help us by sharing Am I a Bad Therapist with your network, whether it's on social media, your stories, or just between colleagues. Every listener helps us make a difference in this field, and we'll always reshare if you tag us. If you're listening to the podcast, make sure to check out our pretty faces on our YouTube channel. And if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to head over to our podcast and leave a review. You can find all of our links in the notes below. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. Allie, you know I live and work in a pretty small town, right? Yes, and I love hearing your stories about working and living in your very rural hometown and how that plays out for you. Well, yes. So I do. It's actually, yeah, I do live and work in my rural hometown. I left for about 10 years and came back for many, many reasons. And I'm happy to be here. And so this story is not actually about, which I could, I will absolutely share stories on future episodes about how growing up where I work now, um, is, is presents its own unique set of challenges. Um, but this story is actually involves my kids. So I'm super excited to share it with you guys. I, hopefully it's relatable. Um, and you get a few laughs along the way, but just a reminder that this episode is for entertainment purposes only, and is not meant to be a substitute for supervision, consultation, ethical guidance, or therapy itself. All right. Well, this is episode number 14 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's dive right into it. So when I moved back to my small town, I was what, like seven or no, maybe six or seven months pregnant with my first son. Mm-hmm. So I moved back and joined my integrated healthcare practice, um, you know, right away. So I joined well before I had children, not well before, a couple months before <laughs> I had children. <laughs> and it feels like well before children. That seems like forever ago, but it wasn't. And so immediately when I started, um, my hometown does not have a many therapists, counselors, or psychologists at all. So it was very quick to fill my caseload. And one of my first clients was a, uh, you know, just someone in the community and a a town over from mine who was coming in with some pretty severe um, depression, some suicidal ideation. And so we we really clicked off the bat. Um, We really did good work together. We worked together for several years, actually. 
I would say about two years. Um, and then we went down to some maintenance, some maintenance um, schedules. And, you know, when stressors would pop up in this client's life, he would he would come back in for, you know, a couple of sessions in a row mm-hmm. and, you know, just keep that keep that door open. Um, but he was doing really, really well. And I really enjoyed our work together. Um, you know, we don't have favorites, but he was one of my favorites. <laughs> and this all takes a pretty unusual twisted turn when my toddler son, I enroll him in a gymnastics program at our local athletic center. Um, again, pretty rural hometown, but we do have some neat children's like museums around and we do have some really great children's programming, but there's not a lot of options. And I was really, really thrilled to get into this toddler class that worked with my schedule at a at an athletic center near my house. So we, we show up, we we go in. Um, you know, my son's been a little wild at the moment. And who works at this athletic center? But my very, very, very long-term patient. And I, I think I knew, I knew he worked at the athletic center, but it has several locations. I didn't mm-hmm. know exactly what location he was at. And so I was immediately shocked, as I think most of us are when we see our clients in the wild. Mm-hmm. And I think the clients are equally shocked when they see us in the wild, right? Yeah. I feel like it's like um, being a teacher. You're like, wait, yeah. you don't have a life outside of the school. It's like same for the therapist. Yes. It's like, don't you sleep on your couch? Why are you here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, you have a toddler throwing a tantrum. I think all mom therapists can relate to that. <laughs> um, and so we walk in and obviously, you know, I know how, and I have this conversation with all of my clients at the get-go just because it is so common to run into them in unexpected settings because it is a small area. Um, And so, you know, I knew and he knew that, you know, I don't acknowledge him. He acknowledges me first and he says, hi. So I say hi back and we go in and do the gymnastics program. No harm, no foul. Typical, you know, recovered quickly, didn't really ruminate on it. Fine. Dandy moved on with life. And the thing about this gymnastics program is it is a recurring program. So my son goes twice a week for several weeks in a row. And every single time we say hello to my client, or I should say my client says hello to us first. Mm -hmm. And eventually my son takes a liking to my client. So he begins to start to ask about Mr. Bill and what's Mr. Bill doing? And I wonder what Mr. Bill's doing at the athletic center. And, oh, Mr. Bill, can you come play with me? And Mr. Bill this and Mr. Bill that. And so my son takes this really like, and my son's actually quite shy. So for him to be like going outside of his comfort zone and like connecting with uh, not a stranger, but someone who's not as familiar was a big like developmental step and attachment Mm -hmm. step for us as parents. So here I am caught between like my son, who's really taking a liking to Mr. Bill and Mr. Bill, who's my patient. And it's Mm -hmm. super awkward. Oh my gosh. That is, I can't imagine what's going through your mind. Um, And at this point you were still in that maintenance mode, right? Like you hadn't fully terminated with this client. Is that correct? That is correct. So in this particular client, I would prefer to continue to do maintenance for a multitude of reasons and yeah. not close the case. Um, and so this these interactions began to develop into this like deeper, and Mr. Bill was responding in like a very supportive, friendly way where he wasn't like, you know, get away from me, kid, or don't talk to me. He was engaging with my son mm-hmm. too. And so 
this like relationship between my patient and my son Mm -hmm. began to develop in between our maintenance appointments. So I couldn't be like address it in session with Mm -hmm. him because he didn't have an appointment coming up. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel like it was that detrimental to call him and reach out to him in between the sessions. So here, I think I was the most uncomfortable out of every other three of us involved because (laughs) here, Mr. Bill is working at an athletic center, which has lots of kids programming. And my son, who's like making a new friend and Mm -hmm. like, they were fine with it. I was the one weirded out and getting uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was, you know, very, very interesting to have to interact with my patient who I know for a very long time on a very Mm -hmm. deep level. And, you know, who we have a really solid rapport with, but not let on that we have that solid rapport because there's also other families coming in mm-hmm. and checking into the athletics program and, you know, letting my son like, you know, talk to him and engage with him like he engages with the other kids. It was a very, you know, interesting situation to have to be in um, for that that period of time in between our next appointment. Yeah, I can imagine. And were you always doing pick up and drop off or staying for the duration? Was it always you? Was always. No, I should say my husband absolutely participated in pick up drop off, but we always picked up drop off. We didn't stay. Mm-hmm. So um, but my son, you know, came to know that's actually a really great point my son introduced my husband to my patient to Mr. Mm-hmm. Bill and so you know my my I, I went in one ear and out the other with my husband um but to me it was like this very big thing that like my son has a relationship with my patient to my husband it was just oh our son you know says hi to this these people at gymnastics class it wasn't a big deal to my husband and I also didn't really want to or could reveal it to my husband because, you know, this particular patient's a member of the community. There mm-hmm. is that dual relationship already there. So I couldn't even talk about my discomfort or like my awkwardness to my own husband walking in and out of, uh, you know, gymnastics, pick up and drop off. Yes, that was what I was wondering if, you know, your husband, because obviously, you know, we can't, and this is like one of those tricky situations as therapists is to protect HIPAA and client confidentiality. I feel like to a non-therapist, I wonder what they would think about this, but like, it's our responsibility, but it's like, you can't even tell your husband that your son is forming this relationship with a client. And then my mind, of course, you know, I love the hypotheticals. I'm like, oh my gosh, what if they started to connect? And what if he was like, oh, cool. Like Mr. Bill's great. How are you? And like, oh my gosh, my mind is just like rolling with the possibilities. (laughs) So we will get into that in another episode. A situation like that did happen. (laughs) And I need to think through that one to be able to of share course, it. Of course. But yes, there is living and working in a small town. There is, there are many overlapping relationships. And I'm, I call them overlapping because they don't necessarily put me in, an, in a push-pull situation with my client or with someone connected to me. They really are just relationships that overlap and there's awareness of that, that makes Mm -hmm. it extremely uncomfortable for me. And it was, you know, I did consider talking to my husband about it, um, in a, in a vague way that, you know, didn't necessarily reveal the patient's identity, Mm -hmm. but releasing like some um, discomfort around something at, gymnastics class. And there was no way I was also going to cancel this gymnastics class because my son loved it. It was the only one in the area. It worked with my schedule. Um, And so I did think about like how to mitigate it. And I think it really just came back to 
my discom- my discomfort is well worth protecting the patient's confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Really all the consequence was was my discomfort. There were no other major consequences that I could foresee or that were happening other than me being awkward. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, I can deal with this awkwardness to protect confidentiality and for my son to have a good class. This is something I can manage as a practicing therapist in a small town. Yeah, of course. So what happened in the next session with Mr. Bill. (laughs) So Mr. Bill at this point has seen me and my son and my husband out in public. Well, should I say at his employer, um, several, like many dozens of times at this point. So we've had many, uh, public interactions in between our, our sessions. And so at the next session, um, we obviously talked about, I think I should say maybe like a year prior, we did talk about the possibility of running into each other in public or specifically at his employer because it was like a, a community spot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I addressed, hey, that thing we talked about like is happening. Like, how are you feeling about it? I kind of just left it open. And, you know, he, we had a really great discussion about like the seeing each other in public and our own like transference and counter transference, how like I at times like enjoyed seeing that he was well and seeing him at his employer, you know, succeeding and thriving in life, which was a different place than when I first met him and how enjoyable that was for me. And, you know, and he shared that he was not uncomfortable and that it is, you know, uh, you know, a normal part of having dual relationships or seeing people he knows at his employer. And so it, it, it was an open conversation, although I don't think that he really fully understood the magnitude of it mm-hmm. and how difficult it was. It's different than seeing, you know, your, um, your grade school, your former grade school teacher at your employer, like there's no confidentiality there. So it's, it's, it's a little bit different. So I think that it was a minimal thing to him, but it was a very big thing to me. Um, and so that definitely showed up in our conversation. Yeah, of course. Now, how was it for you? I'm curious of like your thoughts and experiences, because I think I've had or think back to how I have felt like maybe where you run into somebody. And I imagine as a mother, were you thinking like, how do I look as a professional? How do I look as a human? How do I look as a mom? But I'm a I'm this person's therapist. Like what was your personal and like professional balance that was running through your mind with this? That is an excellent question. And that is part of what came up in our in our touch base session together, which was, you know, hey, like I sometimes drop off my kid in like yoga pants or sweatpants Mm -hmm. or sandals that are inappropriate for the weather because I'm running (laughs) out the door. (laughs) Like, you know, and I did say, I was like, do you have you had any thoughts or reactions to seeing me and how I interact outside of the therapy room. You know, you know, you know what car I drive now. Like, did you have any reaction to the fact I drive a nine, uh, 2009 really old car? Like, what are your thoughts about that? You know? Um, and he, you know, really did not share much um, other than, you know, like I noticed it. And, you know, I just, it's really neat to see you as like a regular person outside of here with a family. Um, and it is something that I think, again, was not a big, as big a deal. And I think they're I'm thinking back to a former supervisor I have. 
<laughs> my former supervisor, if I were to be sharing this story, would be like, no, he totally thought it was a big deal. You need to dig deeper. So <laughs> I didn't dig necessarily as deep as maybe I should have, but it is something that during every touch base session, I do bring up and I ask if there's anything that came up for him about our work together or about me or our relationship in between the sessions. Yeah. And I trust, I trust him to be able to bring mm -hmm. up relevant relevant um, reactions and, and topics. But I absolutely thought of, oh my gosh, how am I presenting as a person, as a mother? Thankfully, my son is somewhat well-behaved at times. And um, and there's also other kids around having meltdowns. So it was a normal part. But, you know, I, I definitely thought about how do I look as a person to him, as his professional, right? As I come in flustered, juggling things, yeah. um, not having my shit together. Mm -hmm. How does that look? Um, and it was a neat conversation. Again, I think I felt I had bigger feelings about it than he did. Let's pause here for a quick ad break. Are you looking to incorporate more creativity into your clinical practice, but don't know where to start? As a registered art therapist, I truly believe that every clinician can utilize creativity in what they do. I absolutely love offering consultation and supervision to share with clinicians how to ethically incorporate therapeutic art making into their clinical practice. I focus on easy and simple interventions with very little prep work for you and your clients. Visit www.cccs.care to learn more. By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? our clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR. And of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie. Plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, of course. And I feel like that makes so much sense. I think about when I have maybe bumped into somebody like a client in public and same thing. Like maybe if you're running out really quick, your hair is a mess, like your outfit's like cozy, comfy, you know, not the professional look that they're used to. Like, again, I think that's more of our internal stuff, but it is important to explore. But I know when I think back to interactions like that, I would imagine high 90% and above is like just my own stuff yes. <laughs> like rolling through my head of like, oh my gosh, my hair, I didn't wash it in three days or this or that or all those things. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, this is something that we can all relate to. Mm -hmm. um, and then when our family members getting involved, it just complicates yeah. things. It makes, and honestly, in this particular situation, I was really grateful to have such a good group of peers to consult with mm -hmm. because it was super isolating. I couldn't, you know, I, I, I couldn't talk to my family about it, who was there when I was coming home from drop off and pick up at the gymnastics center. And, you know, I didn't really have anyone else to consult with other than peers who were in the field who kind of get what this is like for us. Um, and it, it was, I was really grateful to not have, not feel as isolated as I did during the pandemic when, when this occurred. Yeah. That was my next question. Cause you had said, yeah. you, you know, we know you couldn't talk to your husband about it. Um, it's funny though, cause on the network, I know we've seen this topic come from other therapists who even work in larger communities, but somehow it feels very small where you run into yeah. people. So 
I know so many people can relate to this um, small or large community, and it's so valuable to share. And it's valuable to have that peer support, like you're saying, too, because we can't really share these things with our friends and our family. So I'm glad you had the peer support. Absolutely. And I'm also glad that this was a situation where I wasn't, I also think about the what ifs, the hypotheticals. What if I was uncomfortable or what if I I didn't feel as trusting with a, a former or current client supervising or being around my kid? Like what would I, what would I do then? Or what would I feel if I didn't want my son to be interacting with with a former or current client, you know, and I'm really grateful that this was a situation that was fairly easy to navigate, even given the, this was, this was a straight up dual relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I think about that and it, it, I'm sure it will come up. I'm Mm -hmm. sure, sure, sure. It will come up in my work. I, I love serving my community and I don't plan to stop. And I also don't plan to stop to limit my life and what my kids choose to engage in. So I'm just waiting for that. And then I'm sure we'll have another episode. Yeah. Well, that is something that I, I, I even think about myself, like I share all the time, you know, I work with a lot of college students um, and young adults. And something that comes up for me is, you know, we talk about music a lot in sessions, things like that. My husband and I love to go to shows now that the world's a little bit more open. And I, there's a show coming up pretty local um, for this band that I know two of my clients love. And my husband's like, we should buy tickets to this concert. We should go. And in my head, I couldn't help but be like, okay, this is a really small venue. Are they going to go? And it's like, you don't want to limit your life, but you don't want to be uncomfortable and you don't want your clients to be uncomfortable. And I feel like we get in that really gray area and that sticky situation. Um, And then there's been situations too where a client will come back and be like, oh, I went to this show this weekend. And I'm like, oh my God, we almost bought tickets to go to that. Like it's so it's, you don't want to put the brakes on your own life. It's, this is a, it's very tricky to navigate, I think for us as therapists. And I know other people have stories they can share. And if you're a listener, send in that application. We want to hear about it and how you navigated it because it is so tricky. Oh my gosh. I think we could have a whole podcast, just a whole (laughs) podcast, not just episode, an entire podcast on just dual relationships Mm -hmm. or overlapping relationships. Absolutely. If you have a story, please join us on the show. Um, and you know, to talk about more what you, what you were like referencing Allie about how, you know, we don't want to limit our lives. We don't want to be uncomfortable. And we also don't want to make our patients or, and again, I use the term patients because I come from integrated primary Mm -hmm. care or clients uncomfortable. Um, but you know, the thing that I, I sit with is there are, is it worth the discomfort is, Mm -hmm. is the event or the class or the situation worth discomfort? And there's so much, like, it's not a black or white, like, yes, this concert is worth the discomfort. Well, how much discomfort are you going to have if client A shows up versus client B, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to consider like the discomfort of the particular situation with the particular client, with the particular joy it's bringing or benefit it's bringing to your life. And so for me, it's like in my community, it's a constant evaluation of Mm -hmm. is the situation, is is my discomfort worth it? Is, are there implications, obviously are there implications to the client if there Mm -hmm. aren't any, if the only implication is my discomfort, is that worth it? And, you know, sometimes it's no, you know, (laughs) like I think if I were, I do not enjoy working out. So I think if I were in a workout class with a client, I would leave because it's not worth it because I don't have an excuse to leave. (laughs) Darn, I got to go home. (laughs) (laughs) But if it is a concert that I have been waiting all year for, or since the pandemic, that might be worth the discomfort to me. And it might not be to you at all. I think it all, it all, it all depends. It's the best therapist answer there is. It depends. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Case by case basis. <laughs> of course. So Catherine, then I know we kind of touched upon it, but what would you say to someone who was experiencing something similar or even like we chatted about if they're anticipating yeah. any, you know, dual relationships or things like that, what advice would you give? I think I'm going to give a very specific piece of advice or at least thoughts to think about, um, about if you're thinking about serving a community that you are close to, whether you're in this community, and this could be a sub-community within a larger city, within a larger town, or for me, it's my specific geographical town, my my actual community. And I would say, you know, yes, obviously we need to consider dual relationships and minimize the implications in our clinical work and absolutely prevent harm to the client that might come from dual relationships. But I also don't think dual relationships, um, I think, I think there's benefits to be, you can bring a lot of benefit to the community that you're serving if you are close to it. Mm -hmm. And so ruling out entire communities or populations, just because you're a member of them, I think is not doing a, not doing the ethical um, navigation justice. I think you should really think about, you know, the the nuances and see if there is a way for you to carve out a niche or carve out a service that minimizes, doesn't cause harm to clients, and allows you to bring your unique perspective of being a close member or an adjacent member of this community serving them. I think you can bring a lot of good to that community being so close to it. And I don't know, that was a little bit of a tangent. I don't know if that makes sense, but I guess more along lines of have an open mind when thinking about serving communities that you're close to and take it as a case by case basis. Absolutely seek consultation, but don't write it off. Seek consultation is, is the best way to be able to navigate it and those gray areas and talk to your client about it. Of course. Well, as always, sound advice. And I'm glad we could hear another of your bad therapist stories. As we've (laughs) shared, we both have a list going of our stories that we will continue to share as we go through the podcast. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And again, thank you, Catherine, for sharing. Absolutely. We'll see you next week. And that's it. The OG bad therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for the week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. And are you a bad therapist and want to join us on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song, along with many others, on any music platform under the artist Air For Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air For Effect. And don't forget, we're all bad therapists.